We have been going through Jude on Thursday morning with a group of us that meet together. And I wasn't going to to bring this. Um, we've been unpacking it over the sort of last five weeks and we've got four more to go or five more to go, I think. But there's something pressing that I feel Jude saying. And when I sat down this week to say, okay, Lord, where, where do we go? Where do we go from last week's announcement? If you haven't heard that, you can go and get it on the app or I posted it on Facebook so you can go and listen to the to hear where we're going into the future. But I was asking God, what's the piece of encouragement now? I need to keep encouraging the people. I need to just preach love and we, we need now just to have a, a, a hug, a, a sermon hug. Lord, let me, let me bring a sermon hug because we had to bring some challenging news. But as I was praying and as God was revealing, I wasn't allowed to bring the sermon hug. And, I, and no, ex, no exciting, encouraging word came. But as I sat down to read with the guys on Thursday, God said, Jude had to make this, this hard decision. And Jude 1, he says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude, like so many leaders, I think, wanted to bring the exciting hug, the the grace message that uplifts and brings us to a place that you are loved, you are encouraged, we are in the, in the safety bosom of Jesus. And that is true. But like Jude, he said, I wanted to write this to you. I wanted to bring this to you. But the time and the season, God has said, no, bring the challenge that needs to be brought. And often when we read something like this, we jump to our own personal challenges, our own troubles and, and, and difficulties that we have of a few of us here that are in the midst, right? There's quite a few of us in the midst of troubles. So we can stand and say, hey, there's, there's plenty of things that are before us. And just like the weather in the natural, when it rains, it pours, right? You think, Lord, just give me one front to fight on. I don't need five. Just one will do. I'll learn my lesson from one. But yet they keep coming and they keep shifting. And I realized that as I was praying and as I was reading through this, Jude wanted to bring an encouraging letter and God says, no. Don't write about the common salvation, but write appeal and appeal to them to contend for their faith. I find it interesting. We don't really know who Jude's writing to or Jude is writing to here, but I like the way he puts it. He says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Who is in the Father and kept for Jesus Christ in this room? The beloved, right? If you're saved, many of us, all of us. So, so Judah is writing to us. He's actually penned this letter to 2021, to the church in 2021 all over the globe. And he's saying, I need you to do something. I wanted to encourage you, but I need you right now to dig deep in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of challenge. I need you to dig deep to do one thing. Yes, Judah, what's the one thing you need us to do? I need you to contend for the faith. I need you to contend for the faith. The word contend means to strive or vie in contest of rivalry or against 
difficulties, to contest or strive, sorry, to strive or vie in contest or rivalry against difficulties. To contest means to fight when there's not much fight left. Contend means that when you're down in the third quarter and you, it looks like you're definitely losing, to rally the team to say, guys, we can still win this. Guys, we can still take this. We can still push back in this. Contend means to fight when it seems like everything is against you. And right now in the era and the time that we stand in this contemporary place in which we are in history, we need more than ever as the people of the church, the body of Christ, to contend for the faith. He's saying there's not much fight left. We're empty. We're tired. And trust me, I I get it. I I had a a tantrum throw this, this week with the Lord where I was like, God, I am tired. Just give me two months to lay down. And just sleep. Just let me, third quarter, A-grade players are saying, the rest of the team will do it. And the coach leans in and says, we need you. We need you now. The church in the contemporary West, and I think all over the globe, needs the remnant now. Needs those who are willing to contest now. And Judah, who says, I'm going to write this letter, I'll encourage you, I'll encourage the church. But he says, I want to, but I can't, because the Lord's asked me to tell you, contend for the faith. Oh, Benji, poor Benji, contend, my boy. He's got nothing left, the poor fella. I think instantly when we start to think about this, contend, okay, I'll do it, I'll contend. How do I do it? And all, all through my mind when I was thinking about this is you know, all the, the situations in my life where I go, okay, God, how do I contend? I want to contend for you. I want to contend for the faith. And you kind of stop there because you get pumped up and encouraged about contending. But Judah continues on and he tells us how to contend. In Jude 1.4, he says, for certain people, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I find it so fascinating that Judah asks the church to contend and instantly your mind jumps to, well, I need to go out there. And Judah says, look around. Where do we start the contending for the faith of God? Right here. We contend for our faith first here in the house of God amongst his people. He makes it abundantly clear that there are some who have come in, who have crept in to steal, kill and destroy from the church, to de-hinge or derail where we are called to be, where we are called to go. And he says right here amongst the believers, there's a contending for the faith. And in that he says, the the thing that we have to contend for is the perversion of grace. The perversion of grace. And you know, for a long time, as I've read through Scripture and and asked God to reveal more and more, there's this, this 
challenge inside of me that makes me go, Lord, how do I lead your church? How do I lead the church that you've asked me to lead? How do I, how do I call a people? And all the time it comes back to just preach the truth, preach the truth. And if we were to ask any person who is in the Christian faith, they would agree, let's preach the truth. But the challenge is, is finding out what is the truth and what is a perversion. But Judah says, there are some who have been designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our master. The enemy's plan is to derail the kingdom of light. And can I tell you, it doesn't matter how it happens. He doesn't matter what it looks like so long as it's derailed. He doesn't care what, what takes place. He doesn't care how it happens. What he cares is that this place is not who it's supposed to be, that you and I are not strong in our faith to know who God's called us to be. And I've preached on this many times before, but coming through the cross and understanding the fundamental power of the cross is who we are called to be as Christians. To know that we have already succeeded against the powers of darkness. All we have to do as believers in Him is trust and step in to that place. And it is hard to do. It is challenging. We have had some challenges this week. And I tell you, the first thing I, I want to do is not necessarily go and conform my mind to the things of Christ. Sometimes when something arises, we just want to jump in and call for justice. We want to jump in and tackle the thing. But when we remember who we are, when we remember that God died on the cross, not just so that one day we could get a ticket to heaven, not just so that we could lay in the lake on our back and coast on down to one day being in heaven, that He died to bring us into a communion with the Father for right now. That the first words that Jesus spoke when He stood on the, on the land on which was prophesied that He would stand, of Judah and Asher, He said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What I'm going to do by going to the cross is empower you, my people, so that you can stand and bring the kingdom right now. Yes, there is a kingdom to come. There is a kingdom that's not yet. But right now, where I'm calling you to is the kingdom of my people, my kingdom to rule and reign. That's the power of the cross. Grace is not some, some feeling. Grace is not... something that we get to enjoy because, well, I get to be who I want to be. Grace is the restoration of our vocation in the form of salvation. Grace is the restoration of our vocation in the form of salvation. Grace is Jesus allowing us back into communion in the Father and the ability to do greater works than He did as His body with Him remaining as the head. Grace is the call back to the plan in the garden. Grace allows us back into the purposes and the plans of, of, of God. Grace is not something we call upon when we stuff up. Grace is not something that we hope for when we're feeling down on ourselves. The perversion of grace is what has watered down the potency of the body of Christ. The perversion of grace has made me the center and the kingdom of God a tingle or a feeling that makes the presence of the king about what he will award me rather than where he is calling me.
The perversion of grace has turned the halls of the sanctuary into a hall of worldly sensuality. That word sensuality that Judah uses in, in 1.4, he says, the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our master. That word sensuality means in the dictionary relating to or consisting in the gratification of the senses or the indulgent of appetite. It is an excessive pursuit of fleshly pleasures. That's the way the world sees that word that Judah uses, sensuality. It is an excessive pursuit of our flesh, fleshly pleasures relating to or consisting the gratification of the senses or the indulgence of appetite. When we come to worship this morning, when we came to worship, we come in the expectation to glorify the King. And the beauty of that is that He reveals Himself to us. We come in the expectation of glorification to the King. And the beauty of that is that He reveals Himself to us. We don't come for the tingle. We don't come because we want something. We come because He's worthy. But because He is worthy and glorious, He pours it out on His people. That's why we come. And you see, this morning it blows me away that, that Tim led us so beautifully in, in songs of adoration and glorification of the Almighty. And in that place, He speaks. But He doesn't speak what we wanted. That word this morning that was brought was not a, whoo, feel good. It was a challenge for us to go deeper into him. And the challenge is beautiful because it means more of him. But when we come to worship and glorify him and say, Lord, you do it your way, he pours out what he wants to pour out. Rather than us coming with, with somewhat of manipulation in our heart to say, Lord, I need a something. God, I need you to bring me a something. And with us in a place where we feel tired and pressured, when we feel like there's a mountain before us, sometimes we want to come and say, God, take away my mountain. But God says, my plan is bigger and better than yours. Trust me. Worship me. And I'll reveal my plan. See, when we come from a place and a heart of gratification to the King, when we come from a place of absolute desire to be in His presence, He says, I'll release my way. I'll reveal my plan, my pattern. I'll reveal the scroll that I knew was on your life before you were even conceived. Seek first the kingdom. Seek me. Dig into me. That word that Sheree and Jess brought this morning was that very thing. Come closer, my children. It's like the, we're standing an arm's length of way crying and the father is saying, just take two steps and I'll hug you. Take two steps forward. We're standing in a place where we are tired and beat, where we're, where we're throwing our hands in the air, and God's saying, press into me and I'll reveal, the, I'll reveal the solution to the problem. Press into me and I will bring a pattern and a plan well beyond what you can see. Yeah, Lord, but there's no, there's no easing to the pain. There's no way out of this. I'm done for. And God says, my ways are not your ways. Tim, what did you call it this morning? Human silliness in prayer. He asked God to remove the human silliness. I liked it. Because we bring our own nonsense. And God says, lay it down and watch what I'll do. Lay it down. 
Grace is the restoration of our vocation. Our vocation is what we're called to do. Our vocation is what's laid out on our scroll. The grace of God allows us back into his plan. It's the beginning of our journey. It's the starting point. It's welcome back in. Now let's go. It's the, it's the restoration of our vocation in the form of our salvation. Grace is that Jesus is in our life every day. But not as an eraser to rub out the nonsense. Not as an eraser to, to put away my, my pain or my sorrow or my sin. Grace as a person, Jesus, is in our life to reveal the bigger plans and patterns of the kingdom. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God that we preach. Grace is not the absence of challenge. Grace is not the absence of persecution. Why do we know that? Because Jesus himself prophesies it. Grace is the presence of Christ in amongst the persecution. Grace is the presence of Jesus while we walk out our trials and tribulations. Grace is the staff in our hand while we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Grace is the continual call of God in our life when we didn't deserve it. That's grace. That's grace. Jesus, Lord and King in our life, calling us deeper and deeper, calling us higher and higher. That is grace. But the perversion of grace may lead to big just scrap that. I'm not going to say that. That's not going to be helpful. Continuing on, Jude 1, verse 17. Jude chapter 1, 17. He continues on. Oh, why have I skipped through a lot of that other stuff? Because I didn't have time. I skipped through the other stuff because what Jude continues to do is he juxtaposes two things, light and darkness, good and evil. He juxtaposes a decision the whole time for us to choose. That as we outwalk our life, as we continue to step in foot with him, to, to follow his lead, there's always two choices that lay before us, light and darkness, good and evil. And he reveals that it's all through the Old Testament and into the New. That as Christians in our life, we constantly have this, this challenge before us to choose. James says that the wisdom from above or the wisdom from below. To choose the kingdom of light or to choose the kingdom of darkness. We have that choice. We make that choice as we outwalk our life. And, and he continues on to say, there is a perversion in the church. We have to choose light or dark. And then 17, he says, but, but people, you must remember, beloved, please remember this. Remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord, of the apostle, apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. 
But remember, remember that in the last times, there will be scoffers. There will be those who laugh. There will be those who say it's not going to work. There will be those to say, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your life. There will be those who will try to, to get us to, to, to come away from the decision we've made in Christ. He's, he's saying that Jesus prophesied that. He's saying the reason it's tough is because it was always going to be tough. Why? Because the road is narrow. The road is narrow. And there's many who will not find it. So those who do not find it are yelling and laughing at the minority who have. But it's in us to hold tight. It's in us to hold strong to our faith, to hold strong to the things that we've decided. Dave and I have spoken about this many times, how you get to the place where it's like, well, let's just toss it in. Let's just go and just do what everyone else is doing. But in that encouragement, it's no, hold tight. Let them scoff. Let them laugh. Let them try and lead you astray. But you know who you are. You know who I've made you to be. And for many of us, the starting point is to work out who God has called me to be. I know who I am. I know who he's asked me to be. I know what he's laid before me. I know what he's put in front of me. So when that, that struggle comes, when the, the scoffers get too loud, scoffers is an unusual word, like laughers. Nah, what's a, right? Do we all know what a scoffer is? A mocker, mocking, yeah, scoffer. You scoffer, hey? I feel like it could be an Aussie word. All these scoffers out there. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a scoff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like as you walk, yeah, 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 Ben, yeah. My brain sometimes. That's a, that's a little peek into the, the unusual brain of Ben. But it's in that place, it's in that place that we get ourselves where we go, okay, do I continue to walk down this road? I look around and I see everybody else making a different decision. Yet I heard God say, and at the end of the day, I say, I will continue on the road. Because God, you told me that there would be those who would scoff and laugh. You told me that there would be those who would call me a fool. You told me that there would be those who would never understand. But God, but God, this thing's crazy. I know, but God, you're never going to make it down that path. I know, but God. Mike used to say that all the time, but God, if that is the, the end of your conversation, I'm never ever going to be able to get a new car. I'm, like, I'm not going to be able to get to work, but God. Why? Because he is faithful in us to lead us to where he's called us. He is faithful to give us the tools and the ability to get to where he's asked us to go. He's not telling us to go somewhere and then saying, good luck. I hope you make it. He's saying, I will give you the tools. I will give you all that you need. Just take faith in me. Hold tight to me. When they come and scoff, hold tight to me. When they come and they, and they say to you, Ben, you shouldn't be preaching that. It's too harsh. It's too strong. You need, to, you need to, to take more time in something else. And I go, but God, I want to. I do. But every time I try, God changes the plan. Every time I try. Yeah, but people are going to leave. People are going to walk away. But God. I hold tight to the faith. I hold tight to what I believe that he's asked me to preach. And if I'm wrong, then I bend my knee in humility. And I say, Lord, help me. But now, 
when there's nothing else left but the word you clearly gave me, I'll hold tight to the faith. You told me to go, so I've gone. Yeah, but all your friends left. You're lonely. But God, you quit your job to move to another job. You're being paid less. I know, it's insane. But God, you preach that sermon or you told that guy about something that you believe, that's going to make you, that's going to isolate you. People don't agree with that. People don't want to be. I know, I know. But God, the grace of God is that my vocation, my call to who I'm supposed to be is alive and I'm going to step it out and I'm going to apologize to nobody for stepping out what God asked me to do. But I'm going to be faithful to him. It doesn't always make, sev- make sense. But Judah tells us to hold faith, build yourselves up and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I want to challenge you this morning. There's a lot of different ways that people interpret, 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 new word. I should start a dictionary, I tell you. Interpret. There's many different ways that, that people interpret praying in the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you this? Praying in the Holy Spirit is between you and God. Praying in the Holy Spirit is between you and God. But please, please do not tell me that it is or it isn't if you haven't gone and spent the time on your knees. It doesn't matter whether you pray in tongues or you pray in English or Spanish or Portuguese. Praying in the Holy Spirit is to have Him present. And sometimes, sometimes that takes time to push through the noise. If you go, well, I can't do that because I don't pray in tongues. No, what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray with the Spirit spirit present. So what does that mean? Well, if the king walked into the room, you would bow down in adoration first. So if if, if Yahweh, if God the Creator is in our presence, guess what there is? Absolute adoration. So when we come to our prayer life, when we come to a position to, to, to pray in the Holy Spirit, what does it start with? Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Holy be your name. Yes, praying in tongues is a powerful communication in the spirit realm. There's no doubt about that. But what people do is they discount themselves from praying in the Holy Spirit because they say, well, it's praying in tongues and I can't do that, so I'm out. No, that is absolutely wrong. Praying in the Holy Spirit means to have the Spirit present. It starts with adoration. Worship Him. Worship the King in the presence. And you know what this can mean? Sometimes it can mean a long time. Sometimes it can mean taking the time. I love Brad's story about how he, how God released him to pray in tongues. He went into his bedroom with his heart set on praying and worshiping God. And right in that moment, nobody else around, right in that moment, his heart was not to receive tongues. His heart was to, be, was to, to pray and worship, to be baptized in fire. And he didn't know what that looked like. And right then, God moved. He fell on the floor and he began to speak in tongues. 
his, his heart, the position of his heart was adoration and focus to the king. He wanted to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit because he wanted to pray in his presence. That's what Judah's telling us to do. When we don't know how to love our enemy, pray in the Holy Spirit with God present. When we don't know how to climb the mountain that's before us, when we don't know how to build ourselves up in the holy face, when we don't, when we don't know how to do these things, he's saying to us, come before me with adoration and praise. Come before me and bring your troubles and lay them at the cross. Lay them before me. But come and pray with me. Jude finishes his letter. I'm almost done. And then we're just going to do some communion together. Jude finishes his letter. And most of our Bibles have a thing written across the top that says doxology. And doxology means to, to worship God. It's a, it's a hymn or a song sung to God to bring worship or praise. It's, a, it's an adoration. So he ends his letter with somewhat of a song or a praise. In 24 and 25, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. I love that, that, that Jude ends this because he says, guys, I wanted to write you something different, but I can't because it's a pressing time to where I need you to contend right now. Church, we need to contend right now for the faith. We need to fight. So what does that look like? It looks pretty simply like this. Go before the God. Go before God as much as you can. Go before God. Pray with the Holy Spirit. Pray and ask Him to come and move on your situation. Pray and worship the King. Contend when you hear something being said that you don't know. Ask, hey, where did you get that? Why, why do you hear it like that? When we see people coming away with, with things that, that are staining their flesh, when we see Christians caught in, in troubled times, it's not for us to judge them, but for rather to love them and to pull them out of that place. My job is not to, to look at Timmy's life and find where he's going wrong and then to judge him. My heart is for him and I love him. So I want to pull him out of that place to say, hey, why are you there? Why are you caught in that? What's going on? Let me pray for you, brother. Let me stand with you. I want you to be standing clean and spotless. But why? Because I have a, a great fear in the Lord. And I disdain the things that make our clothes dirty. I disdain the things that take us away from purity. I actually love you. And I'm not telling you you're doing wrong. I'm asking you, come with me. Come away from this. I wish Kayla was here this morning, but she's on a family trip because Kayla, in our time on Thursday morning, gave an awesome Kayla's Jude quick bits, I'm calling it. And she, she puts Jude down to these eight, uh, six points. And it's simply this. Keep building in the foundation of your faith. Whatever it takes, keep building. If they're little steps, take little steps. If they're big steps, take big steps. But day in and day out, build on the foundation of Jesus, little by little. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to be present in your prayer time. Don't just rattle off a list. Put Him in the center and worship and glorify Him. Keep yourselves in the love of at all times. Keep ourselves in the fullness of God's love. 
ask him to reveal his heart for the person we are cranky or angry or upset about. Receive mercy and be expectant and patient. Receive mercy, but be expectant and patient with others. Share the gospel to the lost. Have compassion on the wavering and hate any compromise that may ruin or stain us. That's what Jude is saying. He's saying that there is a way for us to contend in the faith and it looks like love at all costs. It looks like partnering and walking with the Holy Spirit and operating from that place. If you've, got, if you've still got your Bible open, just turn to Luke 22. We're going to finish here. Luke's recount of Jesus giving his the Last Supper to the disciples. It says this. Oh, sorry, 22, starting from 14. That would be chapter 22 and verse 14. Got a cat. I'm all over it. Jesus explaining to them the power of communion. We do communion together on Thursday nights. And... I try and do communion at home as often as possible. And we're going to do communion in a minute, but there's a, there was a reason that for a while I felt to, to stop taking communion together every week. And the reason for that was that there's something special in what takes place here. There is a power in, in what we're going to do. And I feel at times that we can get caught in the trap of coming into a religious understanding of it. The nip and the sip, just let's do it, it's a part of what we do. And I wanted to be able to, to challenge us and to, to attempt to train and equip us the importance of this. But it's not just that we do this on Sunday morning. We should be doing this together when we have friends and family that come over with our spouses before dinner. Prayer and, and grace before, before you break bread together is not just, Lord, thank you for the day, thank you for the meal, bless it to our bodies. That there is a remembrance. What Jesus says here in Luke twenty two fourteen, he says, When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus earnestly desired to go to the table, not to have a little piece of bread and a piece of wine. He earnestly desired to share a meal with them, to be in their presence, to hear their stories, to eat with them, to, to partake in life with them. For I tell you, you... For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in my kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When Jesus sat before the disciples, he says, Do this in remembrance of me. What was it? They came together. They, they part, partook, partook in a meal together. They had relationship one another with one another. And he says, when you come together, do so in my name to act on my behalf. Come together as my brethren. Come together as my body. And do this in remembrance of me. When we have friends that come over for dinner, when we, when we sit down to break a meal together, we do it in remembrance of him to say to Jesus, God, with all that we are, we will act on your behalf. That's what it meant to remember Jesus. When they would say that, remember me, it meant act on my behalf. When I'm not there, do what I would do. Be who I would be in that place. Communion's important because it is it is our understanding to remember what took place on the cross of Calvary, that we are being called and empowered and brought back into the kingdom to operate as image bearers for him. That's the power of the cross, that we have been given authority and dominion and power over the principalities and powers. We have been given the ability to, to strive and to succeed of pushing the gates of hell back. Does that make sense? So this morning when we jump up in a second to take communion, I want to ask if you could do some business with God. And in your own, I'm going to pray and pray us through communion, but in your own time to say, God, I'm going to take this communion this morning as a stake in the ground to say, use me to contend for the gospel. God, I'm remembering what you gave us on the cross of Calvary. I'm remembering what you called me into. I'm remembering that you died so that I could be brought back into communion with the Father. But Lord, this morning, I want to put a stake in the ground to say, with this communion I take and I will contend for your gospel. And you don't have to do that out loud if you don't want to do that, it's okay. But I just want to give us the opportunity to say, Lord, this morning... This morning, I will fight. I will contend for the, for the gospel. And God, what you've given us in the sake of your body and your new covenant as the blood, we will stand in that place. So why don't you just jump up, come and grab communion from the front here in an orderly fashion.